Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and others. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson. And today we are going to be exploring the topic of silence, how we silence ourselves, how we silence each other, and how we can find our voice. And I am so, so excited for you all to meet our guest, Elaine Lynn Herring. We connected on LinkedIn um, last year, sometime, yeah, um, and uh, has quickly become uh, honestly one of my favorite thought leaders to learn from on LinkedIn and getting the chan- uh, opportunity to, to do a pre-read of her book has been amazing. So let's get into it. So Elaine Lynn Herring is a facilitator, author, and speaker. She works with leaders to diagnose challenges and build capacity in negotiation, influence, and conflict management skills. She has worked on six continents and facilitated executive education at Harvard, Dartmouth, Tufts, UC Berkeley, and UCLA. She is the former advanced training director for the Harvard Mediation Program and a lecturer on law at Harvard Law School. She coaches women and minoritized individuals navigating executive leadership in majority white spaces. And she is the author of the forthcoming book, Unlearning Silence, How to Speak Your Mind, Unleash Talent, and Live More Fully. Elaine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to introduce our audience to you. If they're not, I'm just I'm going to keep plugging your book throughout. Pause the recording right now. Go pre-order her book, (laughs) Unlearning Silence. You will not regret it. Uh, It comes out in March, right? March Mm -hmm. 2024. Um, So please do that. And I will continue to just... I'll, I'll pitch on your behalf. Like, <laughs> Thank I know you. It's sometimes now, uncomfortable. <laughs> unpause and actually listen to the conversation too. Yeah, yeah. Now and come back to the conversation. Yeah. So, what else would you like people to know about you? You know, it's a funny thing to put a book out in the world, and it's a funny thing mm. to come from places like Harvard because people assume things about you. Mm. I will say that I have spent a ton of time and a lifetime exploring, navigating coaching people on silence, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I would say Mm. I'm a Mm co-learner. And this book is my best attempt to date to push forward a conversation that I think our society, our teams, our organizations, our families desperately need to have. Because as I taught negotiation skills, difficult conversation skills, feedback skills, all theories, frameworks coming out of the Harvard Negotiation Project, you know, there's still some people who didn't negotiate, didn't have the Mm -hmm. conversations, didn't Mm -hmm. talk about the elephants in the room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I started to ask, why is that? Because the answer is not try harder or Mm. just do it. Mm -hmm. And the missing piece to me is silence. The silence we've learned, the silence we benefit from, the silence we perpetuate, the ways we continue to silence the people around us, despite being really well-intentioned leaders, really well-intentioned people. So that's why I want to talk about silence. It's it's interesting, even the use of silence. I was mm. I was I was telling Nick la- last night. <laughs> I said I I haven't been able to articulate for myself what it is about the language of silence that feels Mm. more provocative, that feels more um, real, Mm -hmm. that feels more urgent Mm. than, because I often talk about avoidance and and, and understanding why do we avoid, but that, that language of silence, again, there does feel, there's like a different kind of heaviness. So, Start us, just take us a little bit on your journey, right? Mm. Like what's the what's the um, abbreviated version yes. of your path to this point of being so passionate about mm. helping people unlearn silence? I'm going to first give our listeners just some definitions because yeah, there's please. so much celebration of silence, right? Like you need the pause, the mm. generative silence. It's going to do amazing things for your body, your brain. If you would just pause and choose a response the world would be at a better place. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. So when we're talking about silence, we're talking about there's not enough room, energy in the room for your ideas. There's not enough space Mm. for what you bring. You have to edit out parts of yourselves because they're considered unacceptable or Mm. you're getting messages that they're not welcome. 
It is, oh, we could disrupt the inequity or the behavior here. We could say something, but we say nothing. And what does that silence actually mean? You get the phrase, silence is violence. You get the phrase that silence means that you're supporting something. Is that Mm. really what you mean? We Mm. don't know. So that ambiguity um, is part of the silence we're talking about that is problematic. And it is also typically unconscious. Mm. How many, and this goes to answer your question of how I got here, how many of us are actually aware that we are silencing ourselves? And not just what we say, but silencing our awareness of the things that matter to us, Mm. of the things that we think or feel, because there's so much in this world of what we should do. I, as an Asian American woman, am supposed to be fill in the blank. I am not supposed to be fill in the blank. Mm. All those biases, expectations, things reinforced by media, things reinforced by the leaders around us. We internalize all of that. And what that means is we silence ourselves. So let me give you another definition, which is what is voice? Voice isn't just Mm. the words that we say. Voice is also how we move through the world. How do I, as an individual, want to move through the world? What impact can I make? Not what does my manager want me to do? What does my, not what does my family expect me to do? But what, what about me? Do I matter? And that is how I got to this topic, because I was in leadership development, teaching these skills, giving out the same advice given to me, which was, if you need, if you're not getting your voice heard, you just need to speak up. Yeah. And, and there is a part to that. I will own mm-hmm. that. That is unlearning mm-hmm. my own silence. The, mm-hmm. I have to build that muscle to say what I think, to tolerate the costs that are there. But to say that that is the only problem and the only lever we can pull absolves most of us from any responsibility. Yeah. Because the problem, quote unquote, is the people who aren't speaking up. If they would just speak up, we'd be good. Yeah. Versus how are we each contributing to this silence, the messages we're sending? Every time you don't say something, you perpetuate a culture of silence. As a manager, as a leader, if people aren't seeing that you're saying something, if you do it behind closed doors, but that's not the dominant narrative, that's how organizational silence gets perpetuated. So we've got to talk about silence. Yeah. And, and that is my own journey. I am the youngest daughter of a Asian American family. <laughs> I am a Christian who's supposed to turn the other cheek. Sure. I was the first non-white partner at a global leadership development mm. firm. I was the youngest by multiple decades in most of the rooms that I've been in. And the the challenge has always been faced at, framed as Elaine, just speak up. It's your problem. Yeah. Change mm. you. Mm-hmm. And I have to do my part. Mm -hmm. I also want everybody else to do their part. It's the, no, I appreciate you taking time to define. And there is a, some of the language you use in the book, I thought was particularly provocative Mm. of that silence is by definition an absence, uh, an absence of voice, an absence of an opinion and an absence of life. And when you talk about voice, and I think it's, it's really interesting, again, even how you use the language of voice, Um, that it's not like, how to use your voice? It's like, how do you voice, right? Like it's, here's the verb, right? Yeah. A, a voice, but showing up as we intend rather than how others intend for us. Yeah. And that was something that was, I had a, I was writing waves of emotion as mm. I was reading your book, because there was moments of becoming aware of my own journey mm-hmm. of times when I can remember I didn't have the language of being silenced yeah but very clearly looking back and going how many times was I told you're too much how many times was I told you're too passionate how many times have I been told since I was a toddler you just talk too much I mean that's literally the lore of my family is me following my siblings around and talking too much and you know and while while well-intended love and and observations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There are situations or as a woman Mm -hmm. or as a, right, in different situations. So there were those waves I was writing. But then there were also the waves of, shoot, 
when have I silenced people Mm -hmm. and becoming aware of that, whether it was intentional or Mm -hmm. unintentional, there was a few stories that, you know, maybe we'll get to that was like, I think I'm Jerome. I think that the story about Jerome's enthusiasm might actually have been written for me. But um, let me be clear. Well, yeah, I didn't know you when I was writing the book, so they're not about you. Just for the record. No, but no, I, I know, I know. But I was like, I think, I think this is, I think this is me. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there was something. Okay, wait. So for folks who are listening to this. I tried really hard to capture all the notes that I highlighted, (laughs) and I have about five pages, so it might take me a second to find it. Ah, yeah, okay. Can I can I read back some of your words to just like echo? And I want to I want to expand on this. Yeah, because because you're right. So often, so often we're told that you just need to speak up more. You need to find your voice. You need to be more confident. um, You need to negotiate better. And one of the sections, I think that I read. over and over, I've read it a few times now was, you said to be clear as a consultant who Mm. works across industries, organizations and borders, it is on me to adapt my style, being able to lower people's defenses, helping them feel connected and here's things that they need to hear is what makes me good at my job. And as a human who strives to be kind and considerate to others, it is also on me to read the room, acknowledge the data people are giving me and take that into consideration. But here is what is not on me. The constant, unrelenting need to quickly calculate what I'm going to say, whether I'm going to say it, how much blowback there's going to be, whether I have energy or capacity to take it, and what impact it's going to have on my career or how it's going to change the relationship in my home or on my team because of the identities I hold. It is on everyone to create that space so that the costs aren't disproportionately borne by the people who have to do the most work. Well, now I'm misty-eyed. I, Elaine, I mean, this is such important. So let's talk about that yeah. and why it's so important for the rest of us. You know, we, we can we can dig into and we will explore the ways we silence ourselves. But so much of that, right? And as you talk about in your book, like, we aren't born understanding these rules of silencing. Yeah. We learn them, right? We yeah. learn them from the world around us. So what do we like? What, I, I don't even know where to start with this because like we know what contributes. We know elements of what contributes to it. Um, but I'm just curious. Yeah, like let's expand on this. How how do we reflect on the ways we silence people? And maybe let's just start there. Like yeah. what are the most common ways that we silence people? Um what are the most common ways we might not even be aware of it? Yeah. And then what are the things we can do? And I know this is a big ask, but I, I want to start here because there's so much out there about how to speak up more. Yeah. And you and you also share that. But I think this is a perspective that's very unique that you bring to the table that's sorely missing from the conversation. Yeah. I'll take a deep breath. Yeah. Because as you said, and I love that you described it as waves, there's a lot. Mm. There's a lot in the book. There's a lot to this topic. There is a lot of defenses we each could have Mm. because many Mm. of us are like, no, I'm a good person. I don't silence Mm -hmm. other people. And I will be the first to say that we do. Mm. I do. There are stories in the book of sort of my big professional mishaps that I still regret, but have also apologized for. And how do we move through the guilt, the shame, Mm. to decide what to do differently. So if we take nothing away from this, I would hope nothing else away from this, I would hope it is that we, we can choose what we want to do going forward. Mm. What we learned, what we internalized, if we're aware of what that is, we can wrestle with it and make conscious choices going forward. To me, that is the message of hope Mm. of what we have been of the impacts we have do not have to determine what we do and the impacts that we have going forward. In the book, I talk about nine different ways, essentially, that we unintentionally silence people. And again, this is an observation of having worked with so many leaders across industries who are so genuinely well-intentioned. And then you talk with their direct reports in confidential diagnostic conversations, and their direct reports are like, they're the worst. They don't do anything. They don't support me. And then you talk to the manager and they're like, I do nothing but support you. What the F is going on here? Yeah. You trust me, right? Yeah, sure. Uh Uh-huh. I Mm -hmm. totally do. Mm -hmm. And I'll do it with a smile. 
because that's uh what keeps me in my job. Yeah. I will, let's, let's go with two things. I'll name them. And then this is a choose your own adventure that Mm -hmm. you get to choose. Mm. So one of the most common ways we silence people is to do things by default Mm. rather than by intentional Mm. design. Mm. The second is that we as human beings make things about us. And it's not always about us, Mm -hmm. especially as leaders, especially as people in relationships. (laughs) If we talk about marriage, if we talk about parenting, if we talk about being in community or family, we want it to be about us. It's a lot easier if it's about us. And sometimes it's we silence people when we make it about ourselves and we do it so subconsciously in conversation. We can analyze that if we want that we don't even notice it. And the mm. impact is that it leaves other people feeling unseen, unheard, and feeling like, well, it's not even worth me sharing because Elaine's just going to make it about herself. Mm. And to do the intervention in the moment, I could do that, but that's exhausting. Yeah. So those are two ways. Okay. Let's, I, I, I want to start with, uh, we do things by default. Yeah and without intentional design. And I want to explore this for a couple of reasons. You know, one, we know a lot of the people who are listening are in leadership positions, are in HR leadership positions, you know, and you spend a fair amount of time in the book talking about, you know, just things like how do we get more explicit about culture and how do we be really intentional about that? Mm -hmm. And then personally, I want to explore it because uh, I'm really fortunate to have an incredible friend and coach, Stephanie Chin, who mm-hmm. has worked with me for a few years. And, you know, and she's the first person to ever use the word silence. She said, sometimes mm-hmm. I feel silenced by your work or I feel silenced mm-hmm. with your team because of the default of Midwest nice, because of the default of, right, how we yeah. operate. And, and it is, I mean, I'll just share, it's, that might have been one of the most difficult pieces of feedback that I've ever received because the last thing that you want Mm -hmm. is that, and yet unintentionally Mm -hmm. um, because we were operating from default and I'm still, right. I'm Mm -hmm. still, I'm a work in progress and, and, and and working with her and working with other folks and connecting with uh, great leaders like yourself is helping me think about how to be much more intentional Mm -hmm. about that. So let's, so when you say we do things by default, but not by intentional design, what does that look like? There are norms that exist in Mm -hmm. every family, every team, every organization. Let's take the family as a family system. (laughs) Literally, my head is like, I know the norms of my husband's family (laughs) that I had to adapt to. And he's like, I know the norms of Sarah's family that I had to adapt to. (laughs) Like, So as soon as you said family, sorry, I just had this like, yep, we (laughs) so keep going. (laughs) In-laws and in-law families are really hard. I say this lovingly, having just spent a week in rural Minnesota with my in-laws. <laughs> and I actually think it's a great place to start because it's usually so well-intentioned. Yeah, There is typically so much love and care and intention for inclusion in those families. And yet the way that we do, th- and you know, sometimes we don't even realize it. This is just the way that things have been done. This is how things are done in the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. When we talk about whether we drink almond milk or cow's milk, (laughs) whether we eat at six or 6.05, (laughs) whether when we gather in person, we talk and have conversation or we sit and scroll on our phones together and what constitutes quality time. None of those are real examples, of course, yeah. from my own. <laughs> I mean, hypothetically, a norm might be <laughs> you don't talk while you eat and you're just very efficient as opposed to dinner is going to be an extravaganza for four hours and we are just going to like, <laughs> I'm not saying that might be. <laughs> it's just so hypothetical. <laughs> and do we, do we, does it matter whether we chew with our mouths open? Mm. Right. All mm. of the things that we were taught that were normal in our families of origin, when we blend them with other families, start to become like, wait, this, you don't do this? Who are yeah. you? Who yeah. thinks like that? <laughs> yeah. 
that's what I mean by default, right? The norm, what has become normal to us is by default, and it is comfortable for some and uncomfortable for others. It serves certain people, Mm. and it actually silences some people for whom that is not the norm, is not the the way that they grew up, is not the skill set that they have. And we take that into the workplace And often it is the founders, the leaders who are just doing what is normal. And we perpetuate that by the leadership books and the advice given, which by the way, if you look at the breakdown, most thought leadership comes from white cisgendered men. Mm -hmm. So then what are you supposed to do if you are not white, not male? Mm. But that's, that's good advice. That is best practice. So the first step to me is just to acknowledge that these are norms that formed Mm. over time, that calcified by industries that are just the status quo. And by just, Mm. I don't mean to minimize it, but it's to say there's not a moral, there's not morality to this is the best way, this is the way things are done in different parts of the world. There is a different norm. But it is the dynamic that sociologists and psychologists talk about in terms of dominant identities and subordinated Mm -hmm. identities. And the dominant identities and norms tend to drive what is normal. And if you don't do that, you are othered. And so Mm -hmm. by nature, you are working uphill. You have to use voice because no one else is naming it. Mm-hmm. No one else even realizes it is what mm-hmm. we're all swimming in. This is just what it, this is just how things are done here, which again is why cultural fit is so mm-hmm. problematic in workplaces. But let's, let's go even micro, which is on a team. If you are a morning person, you might assume that everybody is a morning person and you schedule meetings in the morning because that is when you are firing at all cylinders. And in the afternoon, you take that dip. So you avoid that. But what about the people for whom they're they're better in the afternoon or in the evening? Even that dynamic of when are you in what Carrie Newhoff calls your green zone versus your yellow Mm. or red Mm -hmm. zone? Where are we playing to whose strengths? Whose strengths are we playing Mm. to in Mm. how we design Mm. our meetings when we meet? Not to mention the mediums in which we meet. There is, I think, in corporate America, I won't say I think, In corporate America, we champion people who can think on their feet, who talk in three succinct bullet points, no ums, a little bit of emotion to have authenticity, but not too much because then you're too emotional. Mm -hmm. And then we add in gender. It's like smile to be friendly, but don't smile because then you'll lose authority. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to show up? And whose voices do these norms support Mm. and Mm. celebrate? And whose voices do they silence? Because it means the person who post-processes rather than processes in the moment, Mm -hmm. the person who is better communicating by writing or typing, and who, by the way, is freaking brilliant, and you want them on your team, and you want their ideas represented. If they can't, quote unquote, translate that into the real-time conversation in three succinct bullet points, are we really going to ignore their thoughts And because we talked about silence as an absence, we don't even realize that their thoughts are missing. Yeah. There's, gosh, there's so much. The, I'm really struck by the, you know, whose strengths are we playing to Mm -hmm. um, and whose voices are we supporting? And that, that is such a common, um, what do I want to say? Like we see that all the time in our work as well of, right? The fast thinkers. That's something we've wrestled with on our team. My colleague, Teresa is, uh, she always lovingly say her brain has an on-ramp Yes, and, and, you know, so I know that if she has a couple days to think about it, she'll produce something really amazing. And so we're constantly trying to find this fit of how do we blend our styles, our preferences Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it's a, it's a, the real big watch out because as the business owner, the default, Deference is to me totally. in my style, right? Totally. And yeah, so let's keep, yeah. take that, which is that's the default business owner's mm-hmm. default, and we have the opportunity to design. Mm. So when you're talking about blending, that that to me is actually just how are we going to intentionally design the ways that we communicate, the ways that we work together to optimize 
for a voice. Let's also mm. acknowledge that mm. in a global environment, there is no perfect hour of the day. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Right? I talk in the book about breastfeeding video off in the middle of the right. night because I'm talking with Bang- folks in Bangalore. And I've been on the short end of the stick long enough to be like, let me take this call at 1230 in the morning, even though I'm not going to be my finest, because then at least you're not up in the middle of the night again. Mm -hmm. And I think as a leader, that is something that is so powerful to do if you can. And if you can't, then at least acknowledge that this is going to be a stretch. This Mm. deprioritizes the preferences of the strengths of people in X location, right? That is the constraint of reality, but let's not assume that everyone is on the same playing ground when we're making those choices. So it's not to say that you you have to change, but be aware of the costs of the mm-hmm. choices that you're making, because you're not usually the ones bearing that cost, mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. for not benefiting from Teresa's genius in the same way. Mm-hmm. And you see this play out so much with headquarters and satellite offices, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. we would have everybody fly to headquarters. That's just how things are done. Again, notice the norm. And if you haven't been in a satellite office, you haven't had to physically fly across, do the red eye to get there, to then be half awake, to show up for meetings and get home if you're trying to juggle kids and family and life. You know, it is a week-long recovery for that Mm -hmm. one trip that people at headquarters who showed up, did their normal commute, don't have to stomach. Mm. And sometimes those are the choices we make. But let's be aware of the costs and optimize for voice where we can. Mm. It's interesting to think about the idea of optimizing for voice. Mm. And obviously, it it takes an incredible amount of uh, willingness to be self-aware. Yes. And some intellectual humility and... Uh, courageous curiosity, mm. if you will, mm-hmm. of of what are those norms and who who do they support? And it's it's you know the, what's coming up for me is even just thinking, and I don't know if this is like how you approach it, but I'm imagining um, even just asking the question how well two two ways. Yeah, I'm reflecting for myself going. How do we optimize for voice Mm. is never a question I've thought about in that way. Mm. Um, Maybe variations of it, but there's something really powerful. But then it's interesting to think about for those who are in consulting roles or support roles to reflect with their leaders, how how do we optimize for voice Mm -hmm. um, in this organization? Mm -hmm. And if I had to guess, most don't. No, and, and to me, the answer starts with asking and answering the question independently and together. Mm. So for each of us, whatever your role, wherever you are in an organizational hierarchy, what communication mediums best support my voice? Mm. Mm. And where you have influence over that, can you design to use that medium? Mm. A next step would be having a conversation with your manager or with your peers. That can sound like, it's it's just sharing your awareness, right? And the conversations I've had are, hey, I am going to be able to show up better. I'm going to be able to contribute more effectively if you give me the questions ahead of time. You're going to get my best thinking 20 minutes after the meeting. So Mm -hmm. can we withhold decision-making for 20 minutes Mm -hmm. or overnight Mm -hmm. if we can? And it takes an incredible amount of self-awareness and also discipline to not continue to perpetuate the defaults because we're so busy, right? Who is stopping to ask and answer those questions when we're going meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, except for the time savings and then energy savings and the better outcomes that you get from literally 30 seconds to ask and answer that question. And for the people who process better ahead of time, put that question on your agenda for your one-on-one. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Name it to say, hey, I've I heard this on a podcast. I'm curious what best supports you. I don't want you to answer right now, but think about mm. it. And next week or in two weeks when we have our next one on one, I'm curious what comes up for you. And I'd also like to share what I think works best for me. And let's figure out a way forward. That's three minutes of a conversation that pays dividends yeah. down the line. Yeah. And it's- also disrupts the default. Sure. Yeah. Because you're aware that there is a default Mm -hmm. and you're naming it and you're being intentional about that. I think that that is one of the one of the things we see so often is we don't we don't invest in the relationship Mm -hmm. until there's a problem. And sometimes by then it's too late because uh, if if I'm feeling silenced Mm -hmm. and and sometimes I'll lovingly say distrust is silent. Most Mm -hmm. people aren't going to be like actually have a real high level of distrust about you. I I was ruminating about you last night. Can we grab coffee and talk about how I have to walk on eggshells yeah. around you? Like that's well, never yeah. going to happen. And so so by investing in that upfront, by being really intentional about the design, I mean, there's so many things that you're benefiting from. One, you're getting the information so you can be intentional, but you're also signaling to people, I value you. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think about, um, you know, from a personal perspective, what, what, let's like, let's play this scenario out in the family dynamics. What, what, yeah, like, what might that look like? Because I, you know, so I know for me, one of the things we, we talk about, we call it collaborative commitments. Like, how mm. are we going to work together? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I it's a practice I'm trying to do even when I'm traveling with somebody. So mm-hmm. if I'm traveling with somebody new, I'm like, what should I know about how you like to travel? And what, <laughs> what, how, how do you show up on the plane? And are you somebody who is more anxious and are like, don't talk to me, I yeah. just need to be in the zone? Or do you want the distraction? Or what kind of recovery do you need? And, and so that's something that I've been trying to be intentional about, which mm-hmm. is fun, because it's always it's always better for everyone. How you know, right? early should we show up at the airport yes, to reduce yeah. frustration <laughs> and stress? Yeah. And why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many bags should we pack? Like, what's our... <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. So, like, what... So, how might that look? Because I think that... Uh, again like the norms are so strong and 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 whether that's cultural norms like i i know i've grown up in the midwest iowa is a culture that is very uh similar Mm. right we have a high value on similarity Mm -hmm. we have a high value on not standing out we have a high value on sort of harmony even if it's false harmony right like not and it's not even actually harmony it's just not it's conformity (laughs) it's it's conformity yeah oh yeah Right. Yes. And, and Thank let's you for also that. talk about why conformity is powerful in mm. addition to not having to stomach the pushback, the blowback, the discomfort, the what? Yeah. Reactions. I mean, if you look at some influence advice, mimicry makes sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because we are more inclined to say yes to, we are more inclined to support, we are more inclined to like people who look and sound like us. There is a net tangible benefit to behaving the same way, except it's usually behaving the same way as those with dominant identities. Mm. So if mm. that is not your dominant identity, what then and at what mm. cost and mm-hmm. it's this and that's that to me is silencing yourself and you don't even know it's happening because yeah. as you're a junior in organization you're just learning the ropes you're learning how things are done here and it is this low grade hmm something doesn't quite feel right we can talk about belonging we can talk about inclusion we can talk about dignity but we don't even name that when it is essentially silencing of ourselves. Yeah. So there's, I just want to name that there is a reason why yeah. we do this. It makes sense from a human interaction, sociological perspective. And I'm always asking the question at what cost? Yeah. Because that having to edit yourself over time is is what contributes to imposter syndrome, if we want to call it that, to lack mm-hmm. of confidence, to all the advice, well-meaning advice that you named earlier in our conversation of you're too much or too little, you're just not right. 
Mm-hmm. And that is incredibly psychologically damaging and also not usually the message we as leaders are intending to send and yet our actions do. Yeah. We'll be back with Elaine Lynn Herring in a moment. I want to get the quote right. Being asked to tamp down or edit parts of yourself that are different from others is a form of silence. And oh, God, this one. Being told that parts of who you are need to be edited conveys the message that you are here for your utility rather than your humanity. And all I kept thinking when I was reading that is, I don't think anyone would consciously believe Mm. that they were creating, that they were, um, what do I want to say, using people for their utility or leaning on it in a more transactional way instead of realizing the impact Mm -hmm. um, about the humanity. Totally. Not intentionally. But if we think about our corporations and our businesses... You are human capital. You are mm-hmm. organizational mm. talent. You are an asset. You are mm. here for your utility. You're the most important asset. <laughs> Sorry. Right? Like you hear that, right? Like you're the most, in, like people are our most, most important imp- asset. And it's like, oh. <gasps> <laughs> totally. Right. Do you hear yourselves? Yeah. Because I don't think you're saying what you try to, you're not communicating what you're trying to communicate by calling someone an asset. And so that's that's the tension. Yeah. Because again, the default in how businesses and corporate has been built is that people are assets. People mm-hmm. are here for their utility, not their humanity. Mm-hmm. So as a middle manager or even as a leader who is looking at a PL, who is looking at the numbers, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. And I'd argue that in our interpersonal interactions, in the way that we lead, there is a, particularly in this day and age where there's so much darkness in the world, Mm. is this question of how are you as a person needs Mm. to matter? Is there space in how we budget time, energy, and resources for people's humanities? We're all going to get sick. Right, Whether it is your kid getting sick, whether it is you as a caretaker and it's a family member and you're doing long-term caregiving, whether it is a friend. If you are interacting with other human beings, there right. is <laughs> you, you yourself get are sick. human beings, <laughs> you're going to get sick. So, I mean, baseline is, is it a norm on this team to actually take a sick day? And yeah. does taking a sick day mean you can be offline and not have to think about things? One would hope that is the case, and yet it is not typically the norm in so many industries, right? Mm-hmm. You're like in bed trying to reply to the email while falling half asleep while having a foggy brain. That actually serves no one. Right. So as a leader, what can you do? You can do, you can disrupt that norm, right? Sarah, take a sick day, go rest, turn off your notifications. We got it. And as a leader, model that I'm taking a mental health day mm-hmm. or I am taking care of my mother. I'm going to be offline for the next four hours for the time period. It is both what you say to people and what you encourage them to do. And also the messages that your own behaviors send. Mm-hmm. As we know, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. That to me is something anybody can do to, to disrupt the system disrupt the norms. Because even if you didn't see it from your manager, how do you want to lead? Yeah. Because I'm imagining that your manager may have grown up in the same, and we're all swimming in this water and it's in the Mm -hmm. air that we breathe. Right. And we haven't stopped to think, oh, what message is that sending? Is this going to be healthy for my people, for the most valuable asset that our company has? (laughs) It's a, what, like, uh, I mean, and then some of this gets into that second point of we make it about us mm-hmm. and we and we make it about our needs and we make it about our preferences and our defaults. And 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 we all struggle with that. Or I think many people do. Yeah. 
right? And it has to be a conscious choice, but particularly in, and I appreciate how you call this out is the more, the more dominant identities you hold, you have to understand that your voice carries a different weight, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's right or wrong, but mm -hmm. it does. And then, and then the other thing is, uh, you know, one of the things you wrote is when certain people or groups or groups of people get to decide was what is acceptable and allowable, silence ultimately becomes about control. And again, I think if you were to like, let's talk in the workplace, yep. you're ultimately, this is about control. I think people would bristle at that. Yeah. But you, you things that I hear suck it up, buttercup, you know, people just need to get on the bus. Yeah. Um, right? Like they need to be or <sighs> we can have this conversation, but we need to do it civilly or we need to do it respectfully, or we need to do it professionally. And I always push back like, well, so who gets to decide totally. what professional looks like? And who gets to decide what respectful looks like? And it, and who gets to decide mm -hmm. is whoever ultimately like has the most dominant identities, mm -hmm. which is white, Male. Christian, uh, you know, straight, yeah. cisgendered, yeah. Uh, man. Yep. Um, but there are times when I have the most power because I'm a white woman, right? You know, like, or I'm the boss mm -hmm. or I'm the, mm -hmm. um, I'm able-bodied. Mm -hmm. I'm right. All of those things. Mm -hmm. And it's a real, that's a real provocative question that I think is really important for people to reflect on yeah. and try to answer honestly, like, am I doing this for control and my comfort or am mm -hmm. I doing this because for the betterment of the whole, yes. sometimes we convince ourselves that we think we're doing it for the betterment of the whole, but you're just doing it because it's comfortable for you. Totally. Um, and one way, yeah. one tool I offer in the book is around three buckets. Let's mm -hmm. get clarity as yeah. to decision making, because mm -hmm. often, and you see this in large organizations to the detriment of everyone and to efficiency and outcomes. I'm not going to own the decision. I'm going to escalate in part because I don't know if I am allowed to own it. I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm allowed to make the call or I don't want to take the heat. So let me escalate. But then you have a single person, CEO, making all decisions and your entire 10,000. You know, it just doesn't work. That's not why you were hired. Yeah. But the construct for me of three buckets is one I've used most in coaching. And I think just lends clarity to the question. So three buckets. Number one, who's deciding? Mm. Number two, who needs to be consulted? By the way, mm. consulting means I'm going to ask your opinion, ask you to advocate for what you think is best. And let's be clear at the end of the day, I'm going to decide or whoever's in the decide bucket. Mm -hmm. And third is inform, which is you're not actually going to be consulted. You're not deciding. You're going to hear about it. And that is actually okay because there is such pressure to be an inclusive leader. And by that, we default to assuming that inclusion means consulting everybody. Right, right. Consensus, democracy. The world right. can't run on consensus. We mm -hmm. can't run businesses on consensus. What we can do that I think has the respect and the clarity that we're trying to get at is is to just be clear of who mm -hmm. decides who's consulted who's informed and in a functional organization we're each going to rotate through those roles on all different issues yeah a ceo should not be deciding what the lunch order is for right. the event <laughs> there are times where like there's way too many of you on this call <laughs> to talk about this keynote. I just, there's yeah. a lot of money being spent. Yes. Certainly someone else could have. Yes. Well, and, and the other thing that's coming up for me is in, and I, uh, is this idea of interrogating norms yeah. is also then making sure, are we interrogating the norms of who gets to decide? Are we interrogating the norms of whose voices gets uh, asked? Yes. Uh, you know, I was talking with a, a client recently and, and I was actually, I was thinking about them as I was reading your book of like, this is an example of how someone mm -hmm. has been silenced, right? Mm -hmm. The um, leader always, always asks the same guy, yeah. what are, what do you think, yes. Mike, I don't know what sure. his name was, but what do you think? And never asks anyone else. Yes. Isn't even aware that his yeah. default is he is yes. sending a message. I value his opinion. Yes more than others and isn't interrogating the impact of that. And maybe there's situations where it's, oh, you're the expert in X, so I'm consulting with you. Yes. That makes sense. 
But again, we tend to trust people who look and sound and share our values. Yes. And then we get into groupthink and that's never just, you know, you're yep. never going to be as effective yes. or as productive yes. in that space. And also leaders, if you, so the most powerful thing leaders can do in this is to delegate decision-making, mm. right? There, there's even a place where it's like, I actually don't need to be consulted. Mm. You make the decision, you tell me, and I will back whatever you decide, now, that last piece is incredibly important, yeah. so we don't get into faux delegation, <laughs> where it's like, actually, I'm going to take the decision back. Actually, I'm going to override yeah. you, because we all know what that does for morale and effectiveness yes. and people's yeah. willingness to take a stance in the future. But leaders, can we get out of the way? Because mm -hmm. if we have hired people that we trust, hired people whose talents we believe in, let's get out of the way, let's equip them, get clarity for them hand over decision-making and control and power and back it up. And if you don't trust people to make decisions, then I would be asking a separate set of questions as to why. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about whether we're avoiding those mm -hmm. conversations about whether they're the right person for the role or have the skill sets or what else needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, for people who are listening to this, you know what? What well, maybe they're experiencing it. If I had to guess, most people aren't. Mm -hmm. But what what would it feel like to work in an organization where people pushed against their default mm -hmm. openly, mm -hmm. where they had those conversations, where they uh, really created the space to use your language, optimize voice? Because you know that was something you you said that. I definitely have seen is that the people who I don't know where it's at in my I wrote so much Elaine I'm gonna say page four but it's <laughs> it's on page 10 no but essentially that when when you have a culture of conformity mm -hmm. of group think that when people are speaking up and speaking out yeah. they're seen as uh, combative. They're th they're seen as uh, disagreeable of being difficult. And I always say like they take the most arrows when you have a culture of avoidance. Yeah. But I, I I'm I'm gonna wrestle like this when you have a culture of silence when you have a culture of conformity where it's the same people. Um, and again, I just go back to like and imagine what would be possible if you're like yeah mm -hmm. no we're gonna we're gonna make space for everybody. So let's answer that question. Yeah. And then let's also talk about what happens if you don't. Yeah. Because I'm not sure either is clear to mm -hmm. folks. So what is possible? It, it, what happens if you are building a culture of voice is that it is inherently going to be uncomfortable for the people mm -hmm. for whom things have been comfortable. Mm -hmm. We are challenging mm -hmm. the status quo. We are doing all the things that we do in any sort of change management process. Are you and the people for, who have benefited from the dominant norms ready and willing to do that? Mm, mm, mm. Let's just name that that's going to be there. So when it yeah. comes up, we don't yeah. take it as reason to stop. Oh, yeah. this is the thing. Uh -huh. This is new for us. Yeah. Let's check in. Let's talk about it. Let's process it. Let's evaluate it. Let's make conscious decisions going forward. What also happens is that new ideas come forward. You're able mm. to retain talent. You're able to retain, you minimize, you maximize the employee experience because often it is leaders and employees in which voices mm -hmm. are we here. We're seeing people more as humans for what they bring mm. rather mm. than just, well, I need an administrative assistant number two. So let's fill mm. that role. And there's a pipeline of people looking for work who would easily fill that. If you're not going to buy into how we do things here, we'll just replace you. Yeah. And we're changing that mindset to say, you as a human being have things to offer for the length of time that you are at this organization on this team. We want, we want to support your learning growth. We want it to be a good fit. And when it's not a good fit, let's look for the next adventurer and keep our eye on that. What happens if you don't do that is what Albert Hirschman, the economist, mm -hmm. argues as exit voice and loyalty right? The people yeah, who voice take all the arrows, they get burnt out, they leave because you can only take so many arrows. And if you don't see change, why continue to fight that battle here when you could fight it yeah. elsewhere? 
Um, so voice, exit, and loyalty. Loyalty is about conformity. And that's yeah. how you end up with group think, which is in order to stay here, I need to do what I'm told and I need to conform and you get the echo chamber. And this is also why leaders are like, why didn't anyone tell me? Well, mm-hmm. people tried. Mm-hmm. You didn't listen. Mm-hmm. Or they didn't feel like you heard them. Your actions signaled the same message. And so they left. And so you're only left with people who are loyal to you. And to be clear, if that is what you're trying to build and you are satisfied with the outcomes, great. That is your prerogative. Mm -hmm. Let's be Mm -hmm. clear about Mm -hmm. what we're building here and the outcomes of that. If that's not what you're trying to build and you in fact are trying to facilitate collaboration and innovation, which I think is what we're going to need going forward, what changes do I need to make? to create space for voices that are different than mine. Mm. And that often, unfortunately, comes with discomfort. But not discomfort for the sake of discomfort, but discomfort for the sake of learning. Mm. It's so beautifully said. And, you know, what was coming up as you were talking is, is how many organizations say they want. Mm -hmm. What they espouse Mm -hmm. is very different than the reality. And, and, you know, holding up the mirror of it's okay that if this is what you want, just be explicit about totally. it. Let's just be, be really about explicit about it. Just be honest about it. Yep. Just be really clear that this is why you're making the decisions you are or who gets to make the decisions Absolutely. and don't, don't pretend to be otherwise. You know, I feel like there's so, we know the workforce is changing. We know what people want, what they're willing to tolerate, what they is, is we're in a shift mm-hmm. and People are struggling with it. And I I really love that calling out of when you work to create a culture of voice, the people who've always been most comfortable will likely be the most uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and on some level recognize that somebody has carried the burden, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was something that Mm -hmm. there's always a cost. There's always a cost, you know, whether that is um, questioning yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Like there are times when you go, but I, okay, but maybe you start, and you talk a lot about this, you start questioning your Mm -hmm. gut, you start questioning your instinct, but also the fact of having to navigate, particularly when you're part of the subordinate identities, right? Like you're navigating the emotional Mm -hmm. energy and the relational energy and the potential trauma and Mm -hmm. all of that, like somebody is carrying the cost. Yep. And, you know, something that I've, that I've really, uh, that's been a perspective that's been valuable for me on like my journey um, from uh, inclusion, Mm anti-racism, equity perspective is to, just right size my discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like my my discomfort mm-hmm. in being pushed doesn't even compare to someone's discomfort in being gaslit. And that doesn't doesn't mean that I minimize my experience. Like I don't want to silence it. I just yeah. put it in perspective yeah. of I'm gonna be okay. And yeah. I love that right sizing of the perspective. I also want to say the discomfort isn't futile. It's not for nothing. The discomfort Mm. often actually brings those of us who are well-intentioned leaders into greater alignment with how we actually want to show up in the world. Beautifully said. Right. And I'm thinking about teaching my kid to ride a bike and the times he fell down, the times that he couldn't get the pedals to start. That was highly uncomfortable for him and for me. Yeah. But what it got to was him being able to ride and coast. Mm. And to me, being more aligned with how we want to show up, with how we see ourselves, with the impact we want to have on the world, that is what we are working toward, what we're working through to get there. Because Mm. the frustration of seeing ourselves one way and not being able to have the impact on the people Mm. around us that is aligned with what we intend, that's frustrating too. Yeah, yeah. And it's also something we have more control over. 
which is what could I do differently that helps me have the impact I actually want? Mm. That's such a, I, I really love that perspective of like the discomfort, mm. you know, you said earlier, the discomfort is for learning, mm-hmm. right? And to create that culture of learning, that discomfort opens up more ideas, but also that like that discomfort of wrestling with your perception of yourself versus the actual impact you make. That's not comfortable. Yeah. always, <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, our yeah. brain, that cognitive dissonance of Shit, you mean I'm not a good person? But you, you mean I did, you yeah, know, but it's like, yeah. but you know, do you know? I, I, know, do. I know, I know. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I know, but your brain you, right? is yes. like, yes. yes, right? And it's like, yep. yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes we mess up and yes. sometimes we mess up intention. Sometimes we do things intentionally. Like I'm, I'm, we have shadow intentions. Yep. That's what I lovingly call them. There are times when we want to poke. Yeah when we probably should be hugging, (laughs) you know, and there are times when we feel powerless. So the way we recover is we try to get power over someone. And, and then there are times when we unintentionally do it. And like, that's, that's painful. But I I really love that. That's a real gift you're giving me of Mm. I because I've experienced it. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing it. Um, I see leaders we work with experiencing mm-hmm. it, but I don't know that I've ever um, thought of it in that way of like, yeah, this discomfort, mm. it's actually like moving you closer to how you actually want to show up and the actual impact you want to make and not just the story you tell yourself. Yeah, That's really beautiful. You're just, I love you so much. <laughs> I love your work. I, it's, um, it's really important what you're doing mm. on so many levels. And yeah, I just, I just want to sit in this, that it's, it's really, really important what you're doing. And there is such a need for, and we didn't even get into today, the ways we silence ourselves yeah. and maybe that's for the future. Yeah. But man, if we could start, creating more cultures where we're optimizing for voice and it's like life changing it's culture changing it's community changing it's world changing thank you for seeing that and for helping spread the ideas and i'll pause our conversation here to let people post process where i end the book which is to say unlearning silence is not for the faint of heart. Mm. It's really hard work. And we didn't even get into the parts today where that's, that's why Mario Kart, that's mm-hmm. why Top Chef, those references are in the book to help us see our humanity, but also mm. lend some lightness to help translate what can be a really heavy topic yeah. But I don't want us to stop in what is hard and heavy. Yeah. I want us to get to what is on the other side of that, which is actually being able to love the people that we claim to love in our families, yeah. to get to the intimacy in relationships that we so crave, to get yeah. to the community that is an antidote to the isolation so many of us feel, to get to the productivity and the collaboration and the innovation that we need in our organizations. And we're getting in our own way by not recognizing the role that silence is playing. Yeah. So that's why it's unlearning. And that's why it is unlearning ING as a process. Mm -hmm. But it's a call to action and an invitation to start today. Because why not now? Yeah. It's so beautifully said, like, what is possible? Mm on the other side of unlearning. And I've been on this journey, right? I always joke that I'm a platinum card carrying member of the conflict avoidance club. Uh, Does it come with special benefits? It, you know, (laughs) I mean, uh, I have a, I'm a silver tier level of passive aggressive. No, I just like, uh, no, you know, sometimes peace, (laughs) but, but, but you're right. And I appreciate that call to action. Like, it is hard, but it is worth it. And and when, you know, I just recently uh, have been navigating some pretty 
heavy and hard conversations mm-hmm. with people in my life personally. Um, and, and what I will say is when you unlearn silence, and part of it is also like being able to sit with someone when they're unlearning silence and to right create that space for, for them to use their voice and to not dismiss them and not deny their experience. And, you know, and, and as not you were talking about, about and not make it about you, right? Like you don't have to solve this problem for them. It's just to, and, and we like to, to fully love the people who are in front of us mm-hmm. and to love them for who they really are, not who that you want them to be. And, and for all of us to be able to step into, gosh, that whole, like, Everything you talked about with uh, editing ourselves mm. and 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 this is something Nick and I talk about a lot from a gender norms perspective and you know and you think about it from a racial identity perspective and a sec I mean all of the different identities that who wants to live a muted version of themselves yeah. whether that's verbally muted or you you know totally. like so I I love I. Yeah. One of the things you said that I feel like is really timely as we wrap up this conversation is you lose yourself Mm -hmm. because it's hard to sustain uniqueness when conformity is what's rewarded. And I don't want us, any of us, to live as shells of the people we could be. Mm. There's enough room in this world for all the beauty and complexity of each of us being human. So let's let's create that. Mm. Starting with ourselves, our families, our teams. And I do think it changes the world. Yeah. Elaine, you're amazing. Your work is amazing. I'm just going to I'm going to wait. I'll ask you the question I normally ask on the next time we talk Perfect. because we just need to end on that. <laughs> Thank so, you. It it is. I just have to say, like, I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. Like, I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. And I'm so grateful that LinkedIn algorithm. I don't know how we found totally. each other. We found each other. Totally. And I'm so grateful that you have you're doing this work, that you're willing to come on the show and anything that I can do. And again, I'll say it again, folks. Just go pre-order. The reason pre-orders are really important is that it helps send a message to the publisher of like how many to order, what's the excitement around it. I, I do believe that this is a book that everyone needs to read. And I think what I shared with you is it's not necessarily the easiest mm-hmm. read, but it's a really important read. Mm-hmm. And and if for some reason you're listening to this and you're thinking, I would love to buy it, but I don't have the resources, we always love to order books for people. So you can send us a message at podcast at sarahnollwilson.com with your address. And, you know, I don't know, whoever sends us an email, will send you a copy of the book. We'll happily cover that for like at least the first, I don't know, 20 people who are interested. Um, Elaine, if people are interested in connecting with you in learning more about your work, potentially working with you, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Hello at elainelynherring.com. And if you are a sort of Let's let's feel this out, get to know you phase. Join me on LinkedIn. I'm at Elaine Lynn Herring. Nothing. Just Elaine yeah. Lynn Herring. <laughs> or find me through Sarah's profile on LinkedIn. I'm there pretty much every day. Yeah. And I'll say that LinkedIn for me, which brought us together, Sarah, is an exercise in voice. Because I was told for many years to stay off social media. If my content Mm. was good enough, I didn't need to be on it. And that was not Mm. advice that was right for me. And Mm. I didn't interrogate it Mm. until the Penguin author development team said very kindly, Elaine, (laughs) it's time. Yeah. It's 2022. (laughs) Yeah. And your content is so good. I mean, that's the other thing is, you you know, what I, what I, what I find value in the content that you put out and, you know, pushes me as I figure out my own voice, Mm -hmm. right. And stepping into my voice is I, you, you, you are constantly interrogating publicly, Mm. you are constantly reflecting and offering reflections and pushing us to think, 
um, and consider different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, you're definitely one of my favorite, favorite folks to, to follow and to learn from. And I'm, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful for you. Right back at you. Our guest this week has been Elaine Lynn Herring. And as you all heard, I was frantically writing down notes. This is an episode I'm certainly going to go back to. I think the biggest thing that I want to take away, not just to think about, but to continue taking action on is what are what are the norms that I've created, not just at, in my company, but in my life? And, and how do I push against them to make sure that I create more space for more voices. That's just, that's sitting real heavy and powerfully on my heart. Um, And we want to hear from you. We always love to hear what comes up for you. What insights do you have? What connections are you making? So you can reach out to us at podcast at sarahnollwilson.com, or you can find me on social media where my DMs are always open and most, most visible on LinkedIn these days. Um, And also, if you're interested in picking up a copy of her book, um, happy to happy to order some for you. I want to support her. I think this work is really important. So shoot us a message and the first 20 people who reach out, I will order a book on your behalf. And And I just want to say thank you for being with us on the show. These conversations are so important for us to consider new perspectives, to be able to show up more powerfully. And I'm really grateful that you all continue to show up for us week after week. And if you'd like to continue to support the show, you can do so a couple different ways. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. This helps us increase exposure, be able to uh, bring on great guests like Lane Lynn Herring. And if you're interested in financially supporting the show, you can become a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash conversations on conversations where your investment directly supports the team that makes this show possible. Speaking of that amazing team, let's give them some love to our producer, Nick Wilson, to our sound editor, Drew Knoll, to our transcriptionist, Becky Reinert, our marketing consultant, Jessica Burge, and the rest of the Snowco crew. I couldn't do this without all of you. And just a big thank you to Elaine Lynn Herring and the wonderful work that she's doing. I am a better person because of the conversations she and I have had. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for doing this work. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So please be sure to rest, rehydrate, And I'll see you again next week.